I love this it. Is, this, this is, is this big is right meta. here. Podcast, podcast. Did we just start rolling? Let's We're go. in. Jared's in the the uh, National Entrepreneur Center, the Chase Studio. Here are the podcast. This is very meta. The podcast guy on the podcast right here. This is really big. And we had you last night. May we all? It was incredible. And we honestly. we had a blast, right? That. This is a free promo. Free promo. I, I set you up for it. It's no, it's incredible. I didn't know what I was walking into, and I actually at the um, intermission went to the restroom, and that's where you hear the unfiltered people chatting. That's always all of our producers were in the. It's crazy because I heard after the show, like it, intermission. I loved it, and I loved it all the way through. And I know how hard it is to take something and bring it to the stage, or take anything creative and and take it from an idea on paper to life, but. I was blown away. I really hope this ends up being like a big smash and that people can take their families to see this thing because great gateway to get people into country music that can't take their kids down to Broadway or to a honky tonk and actually a really good message too. So yeah, that's cool. All in. I love it. You know, we've had a lot of fans who have been like, you know, I, I've never seen a musical or I don't even like musicals, but I like country music and, and they're they're into it. So it's cool. Um, this is big though. You just came from... Um, you know, b- basically a series seed funding. So I guess audio up is a series seed funding. I don't know how much we can talk about this. I can talk a little bit about a little it. Bit of, I'll give you like a, a sense of what we've done so far with that. Yeah. So series XM basically ran your last round. Yep. And then right now, is it just personnel? Like for what we are, what are we looking this to- is, this is interesting because, um, it's a fresh conversation. Essentially we're growing, um, like like a weed right now, which is a nice place to be. And like we never could have predicted that there'd be this really epic demand for audio content. Um, in fact, it's kind of antithetical because when I was doing Jingle Punks, everyone thought, oh, after you're done with this, now that you know all the people that make TV shows and films, you'll probably be a producer, make TV shows and films. It's very similar to or parallel to uh, like, uh, the folks who started iHeart or rebranded iHeart, where they were MTV people, then they went out of television into the world of radio because the ubiquity of audio and what's happening with the explosive uh, growth of like Spotify and Apple and Audible is uh, it's a perfect storm. And and it's it's a little boring, and you can stop me if I go crazy. No, I think on this it. is interesting. So the perfect storm is this. And, and this is all just my theory, and it's not perfect information. The world of DSPs like Spotify, their motto for the past few years has been like, come for the Bieber, stay for the Rogan. Their margins increase when they don't have popular music on it. So they're looking for more owned and operated ideas that can live in the pipelines of Spotify or Apple. Um, Audible is essentially, the way I see it, this amazing content studio. They have Amazon Television and Amazon Film as people are hitting peak screen and have too much you know viewership choice all these like places like netflix and disney and amazon went on spending sprees but now they have to spend smarter because for the first time ever netflix's stock price is dropping because how many times can they spend billions of dollars and maybe every few years get a squid game or something big like that but we become data driven because we have proven out in a much smaller media with our scripted audio stuff that maybe make it up as we go or uncle drank or any of these other concepts could be tv shows and films of the future and then lastly the perfect storm of like uh, music catalogs being worth a lot of money because of the growth of spotify and how much people don't even think about music that much like it's just everywhere it's invisible it's in your supermarket it's in your car it's but you can people consume it everywhere they consume it in their tv shows 
They consume it in commercials. They consume it. So music has always been valuable, but I don't think the catalogs have ever been as valuable as they are now. So we're building like an entertainment studio idea based off of those principles that if we're successful as a podcast, the catalog value of our TV shows and films can be you know, zipped up to Amazon or Netflix or Disney, and we become like the next tentpole Marvel universe of music concepts. Um, we also see that if we can break a song, you know, next week we have um, our first big release as a company where L. King cut a song for Make It Up As We Go. If we can figure out how to break a song from this medium, as PJ Bloom, who runs our music company, says, it only has to happen once. You know, Old Town Road was, hey, uh, what's TikTok to, hey, what's your TikTok strategy? I would love to see us becoming a valuable, necessary thing, the same way the music video was valuable and necessary in the 80s, you know, back to the MTV thing. But it all, I think it's just an eye for the ball and really being able to keep very close to where the discovery points are happening for all forms of media. Like music is our key business, but it's also theoretically TV and film. And I think that the podcasting catalogs over time will be as valuable as when people are buying the Smokey Robinson catalog or the publishing of Sting or Bob Dylan, because ultimately they all live in the same laneway. It's uh, how's that work though? Because with the publishing catalogs, yeah. you can you know you can listen to your favorite Stevie Wonder song over and over and over again. You might listen to Make It Up As We Go, as great as it is. You might listen to it once, twice, mm. maybe three times in your yeah. life. Because you just don't go back to scripted content the yeah. same way that you go back to your favorite songs. But do you think that the IP actually does last or that you can do spinoffs? Or how does that I work? I think of it the same way as TV syndication. Nobody knew that the early Leave It to Beaver or I Dream of Genie or Seinfeld would be worth what it is. But as content lanes expand... We don't know if people in the future will consume podcasts on like a phone or in the metaverse or if it's just going to be something that exists on every time you get into an airplane or in your Tesla that there's this additional channel. So as people fire up more channels, they're going to need much like that syndication thing. They're just going to need to like flow content through it. So people will go back and buy evergreen content. I don't know how valuable an old episode of Call Her Daddy is going to be as an evergreen asset. I do think that, you know, much like the Andy Griffith show, something that's just there, you know, you may not watch the same show 10 times, but if it's just on a new channel or if people haven't consumed it, it's not like dated. It's not like uh, uh, NPR. If you don't listen to the news that day, you can't listen to a vintage news story and right. go and, and repackage it as syndicated content. So that's really the way I've thought about it. Oh, at the beginning of it and I tell our story a few times a day whether it's with clients or friends or investors and each time I tell it it it's, continues to make more sense to me because it's quite <laughs> dimensionalized but you know meeting with a music publisher today they said what is your business exactly and I said we're either a music company disguised as a content company or a content company disguised as a music company the the way that I think about it when I'm in Nashville is we write music for stuff. We make music for our content. And if it doesn't make it into our stuff, that's not the end of the song. So some people come to Nashville, which is an extremely competitive songwriting town. They could write the greatest song ever. And if an artist doesn't like it or if it doesn't land in something, then it becomes something that's just kicked around a little bit and until it finds a home. Because we are our own A&R source and our own you know, creative, vertically integrated hub. If I write a song with 
that's meant to be for 24K gold and, and he doesn't cut it, I'll just flip it to another project or the project after that or the project after that. And certain songs in our world have had such a bizarre evolution. And because we're small enough where we don't forget our songs, they eventually land someplace. And uh, what does that mean that you're smart enough that you don't forget the songs? I mean, that, that really comes well, down to small having enough. a team. Oh, small enough. Yeah, sm- small enough. Because so- like, if you have a massive publishing company and you have, let's say, 100 writers pitching you songs all the time, when they're top of mind, like when 10,000 Hours is a big song, you're going to be looking for more songs like that. But the artists aren't sitting in the building going, oh, remember that song that sounds like that? We should put that in front of Dan Right, the catalog right is massive, yeah. It's hard. I mean, that's the hardest thing. It's like every day, you know, you have to sacrifice your babies in a weird way. Like when you write a song and you're in a session, you don't know after you write that song whether or not it's going to go to Miranda Lambert or the Dustbin of History. And in a weird way, I was, you know, again, in this conversation, they say that Scarlett, who we worked on Make It Up As We Go, is at a in a in a incredibly weird disadvantage because the first song she cut when she came to town was with Miranda Lambert. You can only go down from there, but it was specific for the project. So a lot of people were like, "Wait, how did that happen?" You know, like you know, it wasn't like the song was pitched around and Miranda found it. It was we wrote this project. The music is part of the project. We wrote that song with Nicole Galleon and we said we want to write a big song for the finale and then we want to go find the biggest country artist we can find to cut it and make it part of the storyline and then have it launch from there and it's just uh even though it sounds kind of like a weird setup it's kind of old-fashioned it's almost like the early days of the music business like vaudeville sheet music sellers i'm trying to find the utility of the creative stuff that we're doing so writing something and then immediately finding where it attaches to whether it's a in my old life, a jingle for Taco Bell, or in my new life, part of the story of any of these musical world that we're creating. Okay, so a lot to unpack here. Yeah, holy, 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 holy moly, moly, baby! I, wow. Wait, wait, a lot to unpack here. First of all, when I think of Audio Up, <laughs> I think podcasting company. But are you comfortable with that? Is that accurate, or is the goal really to develop these bigger IPs? I've heard yeah. you use the analogy, and you sort of mentioned it there, but. How comic books of you know yesterday led to the Marvel movies and it's, yes. it's a feeder for that. Oh my God, you like know our whole thing. Is that the like? Are are you comfortable first of all being the podcast company or is the vision you know so much bigger? So than I'll that? give you two quick answers there. One is we're a, I think an audio media company. When we first started, for all intents and purposes, I described it as a podcast business. I think uh, also one of the coolest uh, parallels that I've heard is. There's a podcast called uh, How I Built That, I think. on How I Built This Guy Raz yeah, on NPR. Now yeah. I think it's with Wonderly. And there was one with Haim Saban. Perfectly sums up what I was trying to do. He went from writing, being one of the biggest collectors of ASCAP royalties in the 80s. He wrote the Heathcliff theme song. He wrote uh, Ninja Inspector Turtles. Gadget, Ninja Turtles, yeah. all that stuff. And he was he basically said... I basically, there was no more content for me to compose for unless I started to create my own content. So switching from uh, the idea, that's the best way that I would describe it is we are a media company now as opposed to just a music company or a podcast company, but it's it's an audio-centric business. And every time we have a conversation with an investor, they're like, aren't you worried that podcast is a buzzword or something? It was like, not really, you know, it, it, we haven't quite seen 
the logical peak point of what that media is. There was definitely podcast 1.0 where you have incredible NPR shows and New York Times shows and the the Joe Rogans of the world and the Call Her Daddies. That's I consider those talk shows the groundwork of where we are now. And even before that, there was like the Tom Greens and people who just got into podcasting early. But this is kind of, uh, we're in the middle of a dominant audio revolution that that I, I don't think I've ever seen more people put together sophisticated home publishing concepts since the invention of the blog or you like the early YouTubers. Like the fact that there's this incredible studio that we're sitting in right now, this is a, a work share and there's a studio, a fully built podcast studio. I, I don't know if they that ever existed for television per se. It's very democratized here. And I and I do believe that the same way that the most evolved version of what our story is if we're successful, is something like Eight Mile. It's an artist telling their story in a fictionalized way, and I believe at some point we'll spark a behavior, and then other artists will come to us and go, hey, I just made the most incredible mixtape, and by the way, I have the story that goes on top of it. So we want to be sparking some sort of behavior where other people copy it or work in the parameters of that. It's weird because, you know, what was early music videos? First they were... Who needs a music video? Then Michael Jackson created these movies for your brain that like elevated the music. And then that became entertainment. It was like a channel that people just watched because they were excited to get all this, you know, form of discovery through MTV. And eventually, you know, that the world just reshuffles the deck every few years. So I think the deck has been reshuffled towards this like incredible audio moment that we're at right now i've heard you say that you knew quibi was going to fail and what you're doing is very different from quibi but why did you know quibi was going to fail and even though this is very different why does this feel like this is going to work because it feels like you're missing kind of the visual component with it where the audio is so sticky don't people also want to see the visual stuff on tiktok and instagram you know why why does this work and why does quibi not work quibi um, probably would have benefited by trying to do less at once. That's the most elegant way I can say it. If they were just saying we're a content studio that's focused on this, I would have been like, yes, that's great. But then it was like subscription based. Then it was like also serves you ads, also is a brand new, you can only get it here. And there was too many things where it became a car with too many features. There's a, a Simpsons episode where Homer Simpson designs a car that has like 90 cup holders and like you know, too, too many features to the point where it's like ludicrous. I think at first, all we're trying to do, and, and it's funny because a friend of mine who saw our business at first and did one of these sit downs with us and after I explained what it was, he was like exhausted from me explaining it to him. And he goes, sounds like you're trying to boil the ocean, <laughs> which is, you know, it's like you're trying to get hit songs and hit TV shows and, you know, evolve a form of media. He's like, could you just distill it down to like, if I'm just telling an investor what it is, and I'm and I'm like, because it says on your video on yeah. your website says, are we a podcast company? Are mm -hmm. we a media company? Are yeah. we a rights, yeah. a, a, you know, a acquiring company? We're all three, yeah. and I actually think it makes a lot. Of, it makes sense. The three, they're all yeah. very in interlocked together. We, it's a nimble enough media where it on a, on any given day we can fire up something like Uncle Drank, which is original and has original music in it and it's comedy and it's just on the surface, it's just kind of like, you know, Prairie Home Companion, but with, you know, some R-rated comedy and some original music. It's R.I.P. On the other side of it, 
you know, Stephen King, who is writing books at a feverish pace and, and is an IP business. He's, you know, our guess was that if someone saw the font in the um, in the podcast store, that they would click on it, and we were right. It was based on just pulling another successful creator from another successful medium. The margins were worse for us on that one because Stephen King is a very savvy deal maker, but it gave us a number one podcast. And then, you know, we're doing the same thing with the Playboy interview where um, we're borrowing the Playboy brand when hopefully when people see it, you know, I think that the Playboy interview is really interesting. It's one of those things where everyone uh, wishes that they had time to like listen to the conversations of Malcolm X or uh martin luther king or salvador dali and you look at it and it's like man that would be an awesome coffee table book to have but am i really going to sit there and you know read mini biographies on like the greatest characters of like the 20th century now with this podcast that we've done you can get smart quick it's not quite the biography of you know malcolm x where you have to dedicate 18 hours it's it's an hour and it's read by an actor doing the manuscript as is so i like that uh that model where that's other people's IP, and then on this side is our IP, and then the last part of it is um, how we can also utilize the music business as a whole to, you know, the biggest, I've, I've noticed that in terms of discovery points, when we put major actors into our concepts, like big, big actors versus medium tier, you know, rappers or, Latin stars, the rappers and the Latin stars have a big, big reach because they're very connected to their audience. They're digital creators. Whereas an actor who's in a Marvel film, maybe every now and then you have like these huge people like the Kevin Hartz who are very connected as digital artists because he is at his heart, he's a touring concept. He makes all of his money off the, the brand of Kevin Hart. If you're like Mark Ruffalo or any of these other people, you basically all your marketing is done at the marvel level and if you want to you can have an instagram account i've worked with actors that don't even they're not active on social at all there is a breed of actors and the cw level that do that but the amount of creativity i've seen from like the ian dior's and the post malone's or look at bieber like Kelly's like yeah, or, machine, yeah, yeah if yeah, any of these people decided that they wanted to run for public office they have 240 million people in their pocket yeah right you know so and, those are the best people to, to build shows with and you don't even need to go all the way up to the biebers or to the kanye's like you're seeing people that can activate hundreds of thousands of people or even tens of thousands of people that are dedicated to their world when we were doing halloween in hell we were you know begging all of our participants please you know do the swipe up do the post and i've also learned what to care about and what not to care about along the way and halloween for hell you had um you had nessa barrett on right like you yeah. had all you had all these sort it was of mgk mgk nessa Ian, barrett 24 and all these the tiktokers Mega influencers and the ones some of the that did, accounts on the platform. Yeah, the ones that did the best for us, where we actually saw, like, when they put their swipe up there, um, that the Nessas and the Jadens and the Ians really immediately could go from us being very far down the trough in terms of rankings to quickly number one and front of the platform. So, you know, as cool as it is to work with like big, big actors, because I get a kick out of that, and I, I love actors, and you know, people like Garrett Headland and. Um, you know, the the cast of some of our upcoming projects, are, are, if it was an HBO show, I'd be like, yeah, I'm watching that. Dennis Quaid. Yeah, but they don't necessarily 
bring you in because a lot of the marketing for these big film stars for years has been handled at the studio level. Whereas music is still very mysterious and magical, like what you're doing with the 615 house. Basically, the music business is taking a gamble that at some point the artists will know how to market themselves better than the labels. So with a project like Sonic Leap, for example, that's a real band signed to Republic. And then is it the label that comes to you and says, hey, we've got this album, album, we want, we want to do something creative. Are you pitching this idea? This was very interesting, this one, because uh, Jason Flom's a genius and he found this band. He brought them. Is, to, it, is it JV with Lava and Republic? Yeah, band? so Lava, Repu well, they're no longer on the label. So that's the oh. interesting part is they started <laughs> on the label. And then what happened? Wait, they started on which label? On Lava on, Republic. On Lava, okay, yeah. And what I saw was a photo of the band. And Jason goes, this is like a few years ago. He's like, what do you think of this? And I said, if these guys sound half as cool as they look, let's see. He goes, well, they don't have a ton of music yet. Why don't you work with them? So we started working on demos. Um, immediately we brought back it, it, your, your timing is perfect on this question because their song might find love with trippy red drops tomorrow but we started this journey at the beginning of covid so, so but when they come to you and, and when you're starting to work on this project do you view that as like this is an audio up project out of the gate or you're you have such a brand yourself is it i was a looking, good sad project like how, how do you everything was audio up it? so for me i was looking for a way to become useful to the universal system so Day one, I'm in someone's office at Universal. I said, well, who are some artists that you're interested in working with at Universal? And I said, well, there's a band. Here are the band. They're signed to Republic. Great. Why don't you pitch them an idea? So we were already in business getting some dollars our way for like producing records for them. But it was a small and modest amount. We went back to Monty and Avery Lippman. It was like right as COVID was firing up. And I said, hey, I think we should lean into the fact that it's a fictional origin story of a band whose career was disrupted by COVID, and we send them back to the 80s, and they attend the best house party ever, and they meet their father. It's a lot like Back to the Future, then Anthony Anderson could play like the Doc Brown type character, and Trippy Red plays the high school bully. It's sort of like a John Hughes movie for your ears. But what was epic was... Um, they actually did get dropped from their label in the middle of doing this. And we figured out we had done most of the work already. So they were at, you know, what I, and this actually evolves into like the next part of like what we do really well. We could take a band that's at like a five or a three and take them to a 10 very quickly by just, you know, instead of living or dying by, hey, we made some music and we put it up on New Music Friday. Now, with the relationship that we have with SiriusXM, SiriusXM gives them an eight-week window where they're blasting the promo with their music and the name of the band across SiriusXM, across their big seven channels, creating a acoustic uh, in-studio experience, like all these playbook things to create awareness that as a label, if we were just a label, these are powerful things to have. SiriusXM putting it into heavy rotation, giving them a takeover of the radio station. They did the same thing with Scarlet with Make It Up As We Go. And ultimately, at the end of it, they emerge as a band that now has a platform that can tour and possibly either tour the podcast as a Sonic Leap experience or tour as, you know, here are the band with William Morris also invested in our business, too. We can now go back to them and say, what do you think? Can we get these people on Lollapalooza or Coachella? Like these are not typical functions that labels handle labels wait for the meal to be cooked and they serve it up and they go now we can push and and take it to radio and do these other things and the label world has always been slightly mysterious to me but we have a mutual friend with you know uh, Jacqueline Saturn when I explained the business to her 
she was just like, this is really cool because you're an A&R source and your discovery platform. So someone like Hero the Band, when Rolling Stone writes an article that says how to break a band, create a fiction podcast with a picture of them in it, that's really good for our business because then people start to pay attention. And maybe, you know, some of the risk that we took on that band with time and energy and money, maybe we split the baby with, you know, uh, Universal or Warner or Sony in the future. But uh, I look at us as creating both the the music and the launch pad. So it's a little bit of uh, that story that completely became like a full circle thing where it's a band that was disrupted by COVID that figured out how to use a disruption point to not be disrupted by COVID. <laughs> and is the business model there like, you know, does the label come in and basically put out, put up, you know, costs to create this product that's going to connect with fans does someone like Sirius XM buy the podcast is it ad driven like like where does the financial part of it come so into play Sirius with XM like... is like our film studio partner it's almost like we have an output deal with them we um, if something costs let's just say $100,000 which I'm making that number up they would put up 50 we put up 50 and then once we have it out advertisers can either be the presenting sponsor or uh, completely own activations around the project from you know, if somebody says at like Colgate, hey, we want these guys to put on a uh, Sonic Leap experience brought to you by Colgate, you know, and also have them, uh, we want to use some of the music as part of our marketing campaign. We can now look at the whole package of what we have with that one project and figure out how to monetize it across the first lift, which is um, getting uh, a presenting sponsor, the second lift, live activation or even the third which is custom content with the band as well like it, we when you look at like radio and the history of like jingles and audio advertising in it we're kind of back to the very beginning like our business might sound complicated and evolved but it's really just the core of like singing about you know cigarettes or toothpaste or soap you know you watch these old madman episodes and it's like that's what we do or like last night in the flight, jingle. What are they? Jingle singer. Jingles. The... I was dying. That was so funny. <laughs> Wait. So going back for a minute, you kind of fell into this because it wasn't it your the first one you did was Baron Banjo. Yeah. If I'm correct, and you kind of fell into this that you you saw this idea, you had this idea, and you pitched it to iHeart. They instantly bought it. Yeah. Well, right. Is that the story? That, that's that's pretty. That's the end of the story. The beginning was I wanted to make an awesome concept record because I was tired of being jingle Jared <laughs> jing, and I wanted to make this really cool prestige record with Pooh Bear and T Bone Burnett. I thought it was cool. Maybe I was a little too, you know, maybe it was a little too Gravity's Rainbow for the average music consumer because it was an Americana record put together by a master of Americana production, T Bone, and like the biggest pop writer of all time and then me in the middle trying to glue all these things together um played it for literally every label they said that's really cool what do you want me to do with it i said well i'd like to put it out and there they said well there's a thing called spotify and it works off an algorithm where do you see yourself fitting into a category and i didn't really think about that um i was like well it's just kind of good music and then and i was basically told that that's not it that's not how it works and at which point i was going to kind of give up on that project it took years to to make it and i was doing it with Pooh bear and we were both really dedicated to it 
the fun thing was along the way we became a songwriting duo that wrote for like the Miami Marlins song with DJ Khaled. We wrote a song for UFC. We wrote the pro bull riding song. So along the way, the story of Bear and a Banjo was evolving into becoming this completely true fiction of like, you know, a Jewish guy and an African-American guy in the music business. And I was like, what if we existed in the 1940s? That became when iHeart said, hey, do you have any concepts? You know, you've thought of these cool marketing things in the past. They just bought a podcast business. And I said, um, well, look, I think your biggest challenge as a podcast network is going to be if you're trying to tell the story of the Beatles or the Clash, you're going to have to license that music and it's going to be really expensive. I have a ready-made album and a short story and a concept for you know, it's like the Forrest Gump of music where these two guys were just trying to make a buck at all these key historical moments and missed history. So the day that like, you know, the the peer sessions where they were recording the Carter family, like Baron and Banjo were there, but they were too busy goofing around trying to make a short buck that they missed the audition. Or like when Sister Rosetta Tharp was, you know, performing uh, you know, at a at the in D.C. at a stadium concert where she got married. We were there, but we were like in trouble with the law. <laughs> so that became the beginning of iHeart. Um, we had this incredible mentor there, Gail Traubman, and she allowed us to open for Tim McGraw with our fake band at South by one year. Someone stood up in the audience and said, I want to buy that show. And Gail's like, for how much? And they threw out a number. She's like, sold. And she's like, can you invent eight more shows like this because that was easy and that's where make it up as we go satisfied a different audience in a different vertical uncle drank different audience different vertical halloween and hell so we have like our emo our our hip-hop our you know reggaeton and latin you know women in music and then you know we have some really cool stuff just coming out all the way through uh you know, summer of 23, like the slate is pretty much starting to get organized around that. But at the, at the end of the day, these have become incredible avatar projects where it's the kind of music that I want to be making and making with my team. I've been really lucky that in our Make It Up As We Go project, I get to work with Miranda and Elle and Nile Rogers and Tyler Rich and Scarlett. And then in my hip hop lane, I get to work with Mike Dean and Ty Dolla Sign and in the reggaetons. It's like nuts. And like working with Machine Gun Kelly. So I've quickly been able to build, I think, the creative part of the story and a creative resume that when we speak to people, it's almost too much information going in the tubes at once. And uh, we're just learning to describe the business effectively to the people who we're telling the story to at that moment. I feel like as an entrepreneur, you're very good at finding product market fit. If you look at what was happening in the TV space with Jingle Punks and yeah. now with audio, yeah. Are you conscious about that? It seems like it seems like you sort of stumble into these things, and then you're like, "Oh my god!" Like, wait a second, like this is a whole new industry, or this is a whole new thing. Audio that's just happening right now. Like, are you do you are you paying attention to the landscape and building companies for that, or is it not that you know premeditated? I think uh, with Jingle Punks, we there was already a marketplace built. We just hyper marketed, so we kind of it, it was sort of unsexy. The world of production music. No disrespect to the our predecessors, the the, the Jingle Garys and Jingle Steves that came before Jingle Jared. I don't know who these people are. But, like, they weren't out there doing – we, we kind of outkicked our coverage when, you know, by the end of Jingle Punks, I was having dinners in L.A. out of boredom with, like, the president of NBC or the head of Disney and, like, you know, meeting people even like your brother at conferences who were, like, serious media people. 
And um, I realized that probably doing the music side of it, although it was super exciting, we had much more of an access point to other things. And I did enter into a little bit of a mental malaise and wormhole in the last year of my earnout, being like, oh man, it's like, I'll never, you know, be able to build anything like this ever again. That was time, you know, that was That was it. how you felt after Jingle Punks. Yeah, I almost went through an identity crisis because I'd been like Jingle Jared, and my friend uh, who worked with me for years, he goes, dude, you're gonna be, it's like literally shedding your skin. You're gonna be so depressed. And like everyone calls you Jingle Jared, which is great. I still like it, but that's not who I am like long term. And I had a few just like key conversations where the Baron of Banjo thing had come out just at the end. So that one dated right before I started Audio Up. That was the last thing I did it at Jingle Punks. And um, I, you know, it, it became wildly dynamic. I wouldn't say. It wasn't like a hit, but it was a critical success because seeing, you know, a headline in Pitchfork, hear Bob Dylan's song for the imaginary duo Bear and a Banjo, like, okay, now we're on to something. And then it's like, hear the anthem about mental health awareness from One Medical brought to you by Bear and a Banjo. That starts to like shape our thesis where the podcast sits at the center, but it's branded entertainment, music, and all credit to... Eric at Empire, um, he was uh, someone who uh, they were building a Nashville division and he ended up, you know, seeing that like everybody had passed on this record. And he goes, well, with the podcast part of it, this makes it more interesting as a, for us to distribute it because now you have iHeart as a platform. And then out of nowhere, Pooh Bear was like, do you think it's pretty cool if like Zach Brown cuts a remix of one of our songs? I was like, yes, that's really cool. Like we should do that. And this was the early days of it where Zach Brown was cool enough where he didn't ask for some massive fee or he just liked the song and we wrote him into the fictional history of the Bear and a Banjo thing and Timbaland was part of that season and so was Bob Dylan. So all of a sudden we come to the other end of this and I have a pretty clear thesis of, okay, um, the easiest way to become an entrepreneur is to figure out the thing you want to do and try and make $1 in it. And then you can like explain to somebody how you did it. Oh, I planted an apple tree. The tree came from the ground. That $1 to plant the seed now made 75 apples and those apples are each worth 10 cents and there's my profit. So I was able to explain clearly one product, Bear and a Banjo, and that was the model. I sat down with a CFO. I sat down with uh, a friend of mine who's like a pretty you know prominent head of one of the major studios and explained the business and he's like, huh. He's like, do you think how many how much product could you invent? And I said, well, we have lots of ideas. And I showed him this like Evernote I had, and it was seventy five ideas with log lines. It was Uncle Drank, the guy who invented Bro Country. Then it was like ecosystem rapper in a coma, you know. And he was like, whoa. He's like, so how do you make all these? I was like, well, the first one took me five years to make, <laughs> but don't be deterred because it took us five years to make only because we were fumbling in the dark. Now we're setting a whole bunch of these co content ideas in motion one at a time. It's like little satellites that are like coming off of, you know, uh, of the business. And my safe point every time I feel like we're accomplishing something is every time we get a yes on a sale. Because then I can go, oh, now I can stop thinking about that for one second. Then it goes to casting. Then it goes to cleaning up the demos I've done, reaching out to. And then 
it has a gravity all to its own. Once it's like, once it's real, it starts to have fall into place. Like I was so, so stressed about putting out Make It Up As We Go and Sonic Leap at the same time. It just felt like a lot of information coming at me. And ultimately because we had good partners and good producers, it was, I spoke to your, uh, the guys from Lively McCabe this morning and I said, is it stressful working on one of these things? And he's like, one, try working on like seven <laughs> of these things at once. And I said, man, I, I understand that. And, and, I, and I, we were comparing notes on it. I said, it really comes down to, these are super specific businesses, putting on a, a live show, making a podcast. It comes down to training your producers to figure out what it is that the, the end product looks like and then continue creative scale i actually think is the hardest thing in the world to do i don't know how taylor sheridan does it i don't know how tyler perry does it i do understand how marvel does it because they have a machine but individual creative driven scalable businesses are you know when i see every time kanye is going to make a record i go oh here we go this guy's gonna have a mental breakdown <laughs> and we wonder why um we're running out of time by the way if you're listening to this i encourage you to go back and there's some great podcasts where jared talks about building jingle punks and some of the amazing <laughs> marketing things he's done putting uh flyers and urinals at conferences <laughs> and things like that by the way do you still make decent money from the pawn stars theme so that catalog completely got sold when i uh, sold jingle punks that was the gift that kept giving um, happy accidents. God bless Crystalini, who said, Jared, there's this show about these weird guys who sell things at a pawn shop. And I remember leaving my apartment in New York City and be like, nah, probably not going to do this. And I was like, but what if this is my big break? And I went back in the house, and I yelled, Pawn Stars. She listened to it in the morning. She said, take out the stupid lyrics that you sang. It's a and that's the theme. And then next thing I know, it's like in 72 territories, airing 40 times a day. And the big punchline of that is uh, I'm a composer who does not read or write music. And I was at the ASCAP Awards like two years later, and they brought me up on stage. The composer of the year is. And some guy at my table was like, oh, it's not even mastered properly. And you <laughs> said, what's mastering? Yeah, and I was like, what's ma And I did. And I remember just being like, th the future of media is so scrappy and so different. Like you you can't put a, a creative plan on paper that takes you from A to Z in any creative endeavor because the 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 like linear nature of creativity does not exist. So, you know, someone asks you, how do you get a hit song? There's all sorts of like wacky stories from my world of like meeting Mike Dean and Mike Dean playing me the most epic masterpiece by Kanye of all time and I played him a song called Poop on the Potty and he sat there and listened to the whole song because I'm not going to play him another hip hop song after he's just played me like a masterpiece and I was like check this out I was like everyone likes to poop poop on and he sat there and listened to the whole thing and afterwards he was like that's dope that's dope and what would Weird Al do? What would Weird Al <laughs> exactly. after uh, Jared's TED talk which we should ask as well by the way our intern Kate over here Wants to be a music supervisor. Jared's dealt with endless music supervisors. You also have this ability to, I feel like you could get a meeting with anybody you want. You just know everyone. Any advice for our intern, Kate, Belmont student, wanting to be a music supervisor? How do you meet people? How, how do you get into the biz? Just be out there. And, you know, uh, I... We now have a guy named PJ Bloom, who's our president of music. He did the music for Glee. He's sort of a legend of supervision, but... You know, they have mixers and the, you know, Music Supervisors Guild. Just get out there, shake hands, meet people. Uh, this is a great town for that. This 
you know, this guy right here, unbelievable at networking too. He's quickly, um, you know, giving me a run for my money with, with, with the network of people you've assembled around you. It's very impressive. But, uh, yeah, just, I used to say, you know, it's, I'm not a sports person, but it's a sports metaphor. I'm the, you know, first person on and last person off the court. And usually the good things happen after, you know, the, the party is shut down. Like I'm last out and that's, you know, yesterday I was pretty exhausted after the uh, your the play. I was just really tired. I stuck around and got a little bit of FaceTime with Brian Kelly. And those are the fun, happy accidents that happen along the way. And by the way, what a nice guy that Brian Kelly. Oh he is God. the he, he is, is the nicest guy. It doesn't seem real. He is the nicest it's so guy. So strange. The nicest guy. Jared, thank you so much for taking the time thank to come you. on. Thing. What's the best way for people to find these shows, learn about Audio Up, yeah, AudioUp.com? Yeah, go to AudioUp.com. Uh, I would check out Make It Up As We Go, Strawberry Spring, and Sonic Leap. Those are out right now. And then follow me on the gram, at Jingle Jared. And see what hats he's wearing. He's always got great hats. <laughs> hats are always big. You're the best. Jared, thank thanks you. for coming on the show. We'll this. see you next time. Thank you. That was, we got it all in. We how got do, it in. How do we do?